Section 3 of Pillar of Fire by Ray Bradbury. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. 3. The Salem flue exploded at six that morning. The great fire chimney shattered into ten thousand parts and flung itself into the earth, and into the sky, and into the houses of the sleeping people. There was fire and sound, more fire than autumn made burning in the hills. William Lantry was five miles away at the time of the explosion. He saw the town ignited by the great spreading cremation of it, and he shook his head and laughed a little bit and clapped his hands smartly together. Relatively simple. You walked around killing people who didn't believe in murder, had only heard of it indirectly as some dim-gone custom of the old barbarian races. You walked into the control room of the incinerator and said, How do you work this incinerator? And the control man told you, because everybody told the truth in this world of the future. Nobody lied. There was no reason to lie. There was no danger to lie against. There was only one criminal in the world, and nobody knew he existed yet. Oh, it was an incredibly beautiful setup. The control man had told him just how the incinerator worked. What pressure gauges controlled the flood of fire gases going up the flue. What levers were adjusted or readjusted. He and Lantry had quite a talk. It was an easy, free world. People trusted people. A moment later, Lantry had shoved a knife in the control man also and set the pressure gauges for an overload to occur half an hour later and walked out of the incinerator halls whistling. Now even the sky was palled with the vast black cloud of the explosion. This is only the first, said Lantry looking at the sky. I'll tear all the others down before they even suspect there's an unethical man loose in their society. They can't account for a variable like me. I'm beyond their understanding. I'm incomprehensible. Impossible. Therefore, I do not exist. My God, I can kill hundreds of thousands of them before they even realize murder is out in the world again. I can make it look like an accident each time. Why, the idea is so huge it's unbelievable. The fire burned the town. He sat under a tree for a long time until morning. Then he found a cave in the hills and went in to sleep. He awoke at sunset with a sudden dream of fire. He saw himself pushed into the flue, cut into sections by flame, burned away to nothing. He sat up on the cave floor laughing at himself. He had an idea. He walked down into the town and stepped into an audio booth. He dialed operator. Give me the police department, he said. I beg your pardon, said the operator. He tried again. The law force, he said. I will connect you with the peace control, she said at last. A little fear began ticking inside him like a tiny watch. Suppose the operator recognized the term police department as an anachronism, took his audio number, and sent someone out to investigate. No, she wouldn't do that. Why should she suspect? Paranoids were non-existent in this civilization. Yes, the peace control, he said. A buzz, a man's voice answered. Peace control, Stephen speaking. Give me the homicide detail, said Lantry, smiling. The what? Who investigates murders? I beg your pardon, what are you talking about? Wrong number, Lantry hung up, chuckling. Ye gods, there was no such thing as a homicide detail. There were no murders, therefore they needed no detectives. Perfect, perfect! 
The audio rang back. Lantry hesitated, then answered. Say, said the voice on the phone, who are you? The man just left who called, said Lantry and hung up again. He ran. They would recognize his voice and perhaps send someone out to check. People didn't lie. He had just lied. They knew his voice. He had lied. Anybody who lied needed a psychiatrist. They would come to pick him up to see why he was lying, for no other reason. They suspected him of nothing else. Therefore, he must run. Oh, how very carefully he must act from now on. He knew nothing of this world, this odd, straight, truthful, ethical world. Simply by looking pale, you were suspect. Simply by not sleeping nights, you were suspect. Simply by not bathing, by smelling like a dead cow, you were suspect. Anything. He must go to a library. But that was dangerous, too. What were libraries like today? Did they have books, or did they have film spools which projected books on a screen? Or did people have libraries at home, thus eliminating the necessity of keeping large main libraries? He decided to chance it. His use of archaic terms might well make him suspect again. But now it was very important he learned all that could be learned of this foul world into which he had come again. He stopped a man on the street. Which way to the library? The man was not surprised. Two blocks east, one block north. Thank you. Simple as that. He walked into the library a few minutes later. May I help you? He looked at the librarian. May I help you? May I help you? What a world of helpful people. I'd like to have Edgar Allan Poe. His verb was carefully chosen. He didn't say read. He was too afraid that books were passe and that printing itself was a lost art. Maybe all books today were in the form of fully delineated three-dimensional motion pictures. How in hell could you make a motion picture out of Socrates, Schopenhauer, Nietzsche, and Freud? What was that name again? Edgar Allan Poe. There's no such author listed in our files. Will you please check? She checked. Oh, yes, there's a red mark on the file card. He was one of the authors in The Great Burning of 2265. How ignorant of me. That's all right, she said. Have you heard much of him? He had some interesting barbarian ideas on death, said Lantry. Horrible ones, she said, wrinkling her nose. Ghastly. Yes, ghastly. Abominable, in fact. Good thing he was burned. Unclean. By the way, do you have any of Lovecraft? Is that a sex book? Lantry exploded with laughter. No, no, it's a man. She rifled the file. He was burned, too, along with Poe. I suppose that applies to Machen and a man named Derleth and one named Ambrose Bierce also. Yes, she set the file cabinet. All burned and good riddance. She gave him an odd, warm look of interest. I bet you've just come back from Mars. Why do you say that? There was another explorer in here today. He had just made the Mars hop in return. He was interested in supernatural literature also. It seems there are actually tombs on Mars. What are... Tombs, Lantry was learning to keep his mouth closed. You know, those things they once buried people in. Barbarian custom, ghastly. Isn't it? Well, seeing the Martian tombs made this young explorer curious. He came and asked if we had any of those authors you mentioned. Of course, we haven't even a smidge of their stuff. She looked at his pale face. You are one of the Martian rocket men, aren't you? Yes, he said. Got back on the ship the other day. The other young man's name was Burke. Of course, Burke, good friend of mine. 
Sorry, I can't help you. You'd best get yourself some vitamin shots and some sun lamp. You look terrible, Mr. Lantry. I'll be good. Thanks ever so much. See you next Hallow's Eve. Aren't you the clever one? She laughed. If there were a Hallow's Eve, I'd make it a date. But they burned that too, he said. Oh, they burned everything, she said. Good night. Good night. And he went out. Oh, how carefully he was balanced in this world. Like some kind of dark gyroscope whirling with never a murmur. A very silent man. As he walked along the eight o'clock evening street, he noticed with particular interest that there was not an unusual amount of lights about. There were the usual street lights at each corner, but the blocks themselves were only faintly illuminated. Could it be that these remarkable people were not afraid of the dark? Incredible nonsense! Everyone was afraid of the dark. Even he himself had been afraid as a child. It was as natural as eating. A little boy ran by on pelting feet, followed by six others. They yelled and shouted and rolled on the dark, cool October lawn and the leaves. Lantry looked on for several minutes before addressing himself to one of the small boys, who was for a moment taking a respite. Gathering his breath into small lungs as a boy might blow to refill a punctured paper bag. Here now, said Lantry, you'll wear yourself out. Sure, said the boy. Could you tell me, said the man, why there are no street lights in the middle of the blocks? Why? asked the boy. I'm a teacher. I thought I'd test your knowledge, said Lantry. Well, said the boy, you don't need lights in the middle of the block, that's why. But it gets rather dark, said Lantry. So? said the boy. Aren't you afraid? asked Lantry. Of what? asked the boy. The dark, said Lantry. <laughs> said the boy. Why should I be? Well, said Lantry, it's black, it's dark, and after all, street lights were invented to take away the dark and take away fear. That's silly. Street lights were made so you could see where you were walking. Outside of that, there's nothing. You missed the whole point, said Lantry. Do you mean to say you would sit in the middle of an empty lot all night and not be afraid? Of what? Of what? Of what? Of what? You little ninny of the dark! <laughs> would you go out in the hills and stay all night in the dark? Sure. Would you stay in a deserted house alone? Sure. And not be afraid? Sure. You're a liar. Don't you call me nasty names, shouted the boy. Liar was the improper noun, indeed. It seemed to be the worst thing you could call a person. Lantry was completely furious with the little monster. Look, he insisted. Look into my eyes, the boy looked. Lantry bared his teeth slightly. He put out his hands, making a claw-like gesture. He leered and gesticulated and wrinkled his face into a terrible mask of horror. Oh, said the boy, you're funny. What did you say? You're funny. Do it again. Hey, gang, come here. This man does funny things. Never mind. Do it again, sir. Never mind. Never mind. Good night. Lantry ran off. Good night, sir, and mind the dark, sir, called the little boy. Of all the stupid, of all the rank, gross, crawling, jelly-mouthed stupidity. He had never seen the like of it in his life. Bringing the children up without so much as an ounce of imagination? Where was the fun in being children if you didn't imagine things? He stopped running. He slowed and, for the first time, began to appraise himself. He ran his hand over his face and bit his finger and found that he himself was standing midway in the block and he felt uncomfortable. He moved up to the street corner where there was a glowing lantern. That's better, 
he said, holding his hands out like a man to an open, warm fire. He listened. There was not a sound except the night breathing of the crickets. Faintly, there was a fire hush as the rocket swept the sky. It was the sound a torch might make brandish gently on the dark air. He listened to himself, and for the first time he realized what there was so peculiar to himself. There was not a sound in him. The little nostril and lung noises were absent. His lungs did not take nor give oxygen or carbon dioxide. They did not move. The hairs in his nostrils did not quiver with warm, combing air. That faint, purring whisper of breathing did not sound in his nose. Strange. Funny. A noise you never heard when you were alive. The breath that fed your body and yet once dead. Oh, how you missed it. The only other time you ever heard it was on deep, dreamless, awake nights when you wakened and listened and heard first your nose taking and gently poking out the air. And then the dull, deep, dim, red thunder of the blood in your temples, in your eardrums, in your throat, in your aching wrists, in your warm loins, in your chest. All of those little rhythms gone. The wrist beat gone. The throat pulse gone. The chest vibration gone. The sound of the blood coming up, down, around, and through. Down, round, and through. Now it was like listening to a statue. And yet he lived. Or rather, moved about. And how was this done? Over and above scientific explanations, theories, doubts. By one thing and one thing alone. Hatred. Hatred was a blood in him. It went up, down, around, and through. Up, down, around, and through. It was a heart in him, not beating true, but warm. He was, what, resentment? Envy? They said he could not lie any longer in his coffin in the cemetery. He had wanted to. He had never had any particular desire to get up and walk around. It had been enough all these centuries to lie in the deep box and feel, but not feel the ticking of the million insect watches in the earth around the moves of worms like so many deep thoughts in the soil. But then they had come and said, Out you go and into the furnace. And that is the worst thing you can say to any man. You cannot tell him what to do. If you say you are dead, he will want not to be dead. If you say there are no such things as vampires, by God, that man will try to be one just for spite. If you say a dead man cannot walk, he will test his limbs. If you say murder is no longer occurring, he will make it occur. He was, in toto, all the impossible things. They had given birth to him with their damnable practices and ignorances. Oh, how wrong they were. They needed to be shown. He would show them. Sun is good. So is night. There's nothing wrong with dark, they said. Dark as horror, he shouted, silently facing the little houses. It is meant for contrast. You must fear, you hear. That has always been the way of this world. You destroyers of Edgar Allan Poe and fine, big-worded Lovecraft. You burner of Halloween masks and destroyer of pumpkin jack-o'-lanterns. I will make night what it once was. The thing against which man built all his lantern cities and his many children. As if in answer to this, 
a rocket flying low, trailing a long, rackish feather of flame. It made Lantry flinch and draw back. End of section three.